HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries, they cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information, and be sure to check the new blog, On Our Plate, for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. You're listening to Let's Get Real on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. Welcome to the Let's Get Real Foodiness Rehabilitation and Conversion Therapy Clinic. Please have a seat, and your foodiness reeducation therapist will be with you shortly. Please enjoy the 10 year old copies of People Magazine with Britney Spears pre crack and Whitney Houston on crack while you wait. Your conversion therapy is very important to us, and we estimate your wait time to be less than five seconds. Okay, your therapist will see you now. Come on in. Have a seat. Relax. Would you prefer the couch or the chair? It's up to you. Your choice doesn't say anything about you, unless you think it should. What do you think it says about you? Okay, let's get started. Close your eyes. Breathe normally. Try to find your inner center. Ready? Now let's start the session with some word association. Now when I say the word vegetable, what image immediately comes into your mind? V8, huh? Hmm. That's interesting. What else? Pirate's booty. Okay. Anything else? Terry Shivo. Oh, okay then. Now let's try some other words. How about broccoli? George Bush Sr. Okay. How about carrots? Engagement rings. Hmm. How about spinach? Pirate's booty again. All right, one more. Cucumbers. Fifty shades of gray? Really? Okay, then. That'll be just a couple of minutes while we run your answers through the Foodiness Evaluator 3000. 
Here, read another eight-year-old people magazine while you're waiting. Oh, that's funny. This one has Terry Schiavo on the cover. What a coincidence. God, what people will do to get on the cover of People Magazine. All right. Anyway, all set. Based on the results of your word association, I'd say you have a severe to extreme case of vegetable disassociative disorder. You have no actual relationship to real vegetables, nor can you recognize an actual vegetable in its true form. This is caused by a life spent deeply, deeply down the foodiness rabbit hole. Ironically enough, where there are no actual rabbits, nor no actual vegetables for those rabbits to eat. You have completely lost the innate ability to recognize real food as you've been brainwashed by the foodiness industry since birth. It has placed a literal roadblock in your brain, one that keeps you from seeing or understanding the differences between food and foodiness. But don't feel bad. You suffer from a disorder that's almost as common these days as diabetes or internet addiction or Facebook depression. Almost everyone has it, and it's not totally your fault. You can blame your mom a lot for this one. I mean, she probably had it too if she's under 65. So you can go ahead and add it to the list of all the other mental disorders you have that are your mom's fault. And we can treat those at the clinic here too, by the way, if you're interested. Um, What insurance did you say you have again? Anyway, my recommendation for your treatment would be a three-week stay at our foodiness re-education camp, plus intensive follow-up vegetable conversion therapy for at least six months. During that time, we'll slowly reintroduce or actually introduce you to real food, starting with vegetables. We'll take, don't worry, we'll take it very, very slow. Maybe a few peas the first day. Maybe a baby carrot. Maybe even just some iceberg lettuce to show you the gateway to foodiness connector vegetable links. At Foodiness Reeducation Camp, we found that everyone, even the most far gone, has a gateway vegetable. Some patients are so far gone that we need to start out with a little paper cup of coleslaw masked with extra mayonnaise so that they can't see the actual cabbage underneath it. But don't be scared. You made the right choice in coming here today. This is a major first step for you. And I think you've actually already made excellent progress. Now, I'm very sorry, but our time is up. Please make sure to pay the receptionist on your way out. And make sure to tell her that you'll be leaving for the camp first thing in the morning. Now, don't forget to bring your toothbrush, your sneakers, and your checkbook, as no insurance is accepted for foodiness re-education camp. Did I mention that in our first session? We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, more about vegetable conversion therapy. I'm going to be around my vegetables. I'm going to chow down my vegetables. I... Love you most of all, my favorite vegetable. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wise, your host. Please excuse my scratchy voice this week. I 
had a cold. And when I get a cold, I lose my voice. The irony of that is not lost on me, that's for sure. Anyway, does anyone even remember who Terry Schiavo was? When I was writing that joke this week, I really wondered about that. Or Karen Ann Quinlan? I don't want to go into them too deeply. I mean, you have internet access. You can look them up yourself. But they were vegetables. Not like broccoli vegetables, like human vegetables. Brain dead, comatose, let's pull the plug vegetables. Now, why do we call them that? Why do we say someone who's in a coma is in a vegetative state? I personally, as the spokesperson for all vegetables, find that utterly insulting to vegetables in the same way that Twitter is offensive to birds. I mean, your average cauliflower probably has more brain activity going on than your average non-vegetative housewives watching human being, let alone a comatose one. So why insult it that way? You know, vegetables get so little respect as it is. Do we need to associate them with a near-death state? I mean, it really should be quite the opposite. I mean, maybe if people ate more vegetables, they wouldn't hover near death, clinging to life through an oxygen tube or an insulin pump, one cupcake away from a coma. It's so insulting that the one food group that can give us the most health is the one associated with a state of near death. The food group that no doubt contributes to a healthy brain, conflated with being brain dead. Vegetables could use some serious rebranding, kind of like what they did with prunes a few years ago or with Mitt Romney. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with the lowly, humble potato, full of nutrients in its unmolested real form, it also gets seriously impugned not only by the massive industrialization and foodinessization it endures, but by then being associated with slothful TLC watching near comatose levels of couch lolling laziness. Another insult to another food that has kept millions alive and inspired a million French chefs and now sadly positioned not only with lazy slothfulness, but with freedom fries. You remember those? Please refer to your fall 2001 issues of People Magazine for those. You'll find them on the coffee table in the waiting room. Now, I don't want to insult the potato or any vegetable for that matter, but sadly, it's really all about how vegetable foodiness is turning us all into Mr. and Ms. Potato Head. You remember last week's show? Well, two weeks ago before I got sick. When I talked about the tuber couple and their updated 21st century wardrobe accessories, now sold separately. Now, when I was a little kid, I would go visit my grandmother and my aunt, and my aunt had an original Mr. Potato Head toy set, but it didn't come with a plastic potato. It assumed that you had a real potato in your pantry because back then people cooked and ate potatoes from the whole state intact, like from a paper bag that they brought home for the market, and then they washed them and peeled them and cooked them or baked them whole. So you'd always have potatoes in your kitchen. We always have potatoes in our kitchen. You can't stick a plastic nose or a toy insulin pump into a frozen, loaded, microwavable potato skin. Doesn't work. The runny cheese would make it too slippery for the accessories to stick. And the little plastic hands might melt in the microwave. Now, I love vegetables. 
I'm sure you've heard me say this before. I love them so much. I would marry vegetables if I could. But trans species marriage is still illegal in most states. So it's probably safe to assume that human vegetable marriage isn't legal either. Of course, according to conservatives, if gays get the right to marry, the next logical step is interspecies marriage. And from there, the next logical step would be the right to marry a carrot or a head of broccoli rob. So human vegetable marriage is something that actually could happen in our lifetime. We can only hope. Now, I would marry Mr. Broccoli Rob Head in a second. If only he would propose to me. And it's great because my actual real current husband loves Mr. Broccoli Rob too. So it would be really great. It would be like sister wives, but with two husbands. It would be like brother husbands. And of course, we could always eat the second husband if we got bored of him or if we got really hungry. Now, would that be spousal abuse? Could you get arrested for eating your second husband if he's a vegetable? Is it abuse if you're really hungry? Or if you just really, really love him, especially with garlic and olive oil? Or would it just be considered like some form of a three-way? And if we ate him, would he be bitter about it? Or just feel like he was fulfilling his destiny? Now, foodiness is abuse. Foodiness abuses food. Marrying and eating Mr. Broccoli Rob Head is an act of love. And the way that God and nature intended marriage to be between a vegetable and his wife. It's not abuse. Abuse is taking a perfectly edible little vegetable, the little unborn, the helpless innocents who have no voice for themselves, and processing and cooking and dehydrating and grinding them into powder and using that powder to coat extruded corn slurry doodly puffs with green dust and then packaging and labeling them veggie puffs. And then putting those puffs in a bag that's designed with more green and brown and natural looking colors to con people into thinking that those colors connote health and natural. And you're not really eating a bag of extruded salted corn slurry doodly crap. You're eating your vegetables. And then you can wash that foodiness vegetable doppelganger down with a can or bottle of vegetable juice instead of a soda or a sports drink. I mean, those are full of sugar, but those V7, V. 16 fusion, frusion, confusion drinks, they say they're full of vegetables. A whole serving of vegetables. Well, a serving of what? Tomato juice? Carrot juice? Okay, fine. A little tomato juice, a little carrot juice. Those are pretty good for you, except that the fruity versions of those juice blends that claim to be full of vegetables, they don't really contain a lot of vegetable. What they contain is a lot of sugar almost as much sugar as soda. So there's no fiber left in them from juicing them, and you'd be better off eating a tomato or a carrot. I'm sorry, but you can't drink your food. Well, unless it's soup. You can't drink your food. I'm sorry, juice people, juice lovers and smoothie lovers and cleanseaholics and jamba junkies. Food is food and juice is juice. It's not food. That's why we have teeth. Let's think back. Let's think about those voiceless vegetables. They can't speak. They're unable to fight back, except maybe in the form of gas. Mm. Suffering abuse at the hands of foodiness. Unable to get away. They can't run. They have no feet. They have no fingers to dial for help. What I want to do is start a safe house 
for abused vegetables. And as those vegetables get pulled from their brown, soily little birthplace, and they're thrown onto trucks, and those trucks are being driven off to the veggie chip factory, we're going to set up fake roadblocks, and we're going to commandeer those trucks. And then we'll drive under cover of night to the safe house for abused vegetables, where we'll shelter those terrified carrots and parsnips and beets under a nice deep foot of dirt. And we'll let them recover, and we'll give them therapy, and we'll get them back to their natural state. And then, once they've calmed down and they aren't so traumatized and they are ready to go out and run to their freedom just to actually be vegetables and veggie chips, then we'll eat them. Now, you have a choice. We all have a choice. Sophie, she didn't have a choice. She knew the consequences of her choice. She knew too much. Do you remember the Sophie that I'm talking about? You have to be pretty old. You can look it up. Google it. Like on last week's show, or the last live show I did, where I kind of spun out of control because I felt like I knew too much and I didn't know what to do anymore with all that information and all that information was drowning me. Sophie knew what her choice would mean. She knew which kids she had to pick. My niece Sophie, on the other hand, started out her food life in Rome eating spinach and chicory and artichokes. She had no choice either except that that was food. She had no idea there was anything else. She was two, and that's what food was like, so she ate it. Now suddenly at 12, she's announcing that she doesn't like asparagus, but I'm suspicious. I think it's just a smelly pee thing. She'll come back around. She may be a teenager, but she's smart, and she makes the right choices. Now our choice is easy when it comes to vegetables. Do I eat the spinach or do I eat the green dusted veggie puff? Do I eat the fresh broccoli or the canned broccoli cheese soup? The carrots or the orange carrot mango sugar, sugar, sugar juice drink? It can actually come down to number of words, I think. Yesterday morning on NPR, I was listening to NPR, they did a story on politicians and how many words the politicians use in their sentences. And it correlates, how many words they use in a sentence actually correlates to what grade level they're speaking at. Ten years ago, most politicians were speaking to the public at the 11th grade level. Now most politicians speak to the public on the 8th grade level. It has to do with how many words they're using. And in the case of foodiness, it's actually the opposite. The fewer the words involved, the more likely what you're getting is going to be real food not foodiness. If it's spinach, veggie, puffy, doodly, chippy, something, the spinach kind of gets lost in there. If it's just spinach, I think you know what you're getting. I mean, it's no coincidence that Dan Quayle couldn't spell potato, right? He probably couldn't even see the potatoes under all the ketchup that Reagan had dumped all over his lunch while admonishing him to eat his vegetables. Is this the time to mention that Reagan actually did turn into a vegetable while he was still in office? But then again, an insult to vegetables. Now, eating your vegetables is what moms have been telling kids to do since human beings crawled up and out of the swamp. Nobody really knows who first said it. Who first said, eat your vegetables? That mom is kind of like the unknown soldier. She should get a monument down in Washington, maybe right next to the Martin Luther King monument that has the typo in it, 
the one that has to be taken down and redone because we got the quote wrong, we can put the monument to the unknown mom right there that says, eat your vegetables. I eat my vegetables. Since I can't marry them, I eat them instead. And in the past week, I've eaten Mr. Broccoli Rob. I've eaten mustard greens, Swiss chard, artichokes, asparagus, spinach, arugula, carrots, green beans, tomatoes. God, what else? A lot. It was a good week for me. Even though I was sick and I sprained my foot, I managed to eat a lot of vegetables. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's certainly easier for me being a chef. I mean, I'm around that stuff all day. I teach in a culinary school. There's food everywhere. I can cook it or I can take it home pre-cooked and eat it leftovers. And that's great. I know for the non-chef mortal, for the regular person, it's a lot harder. I know that. It's a total pain buying and cleaning and prepping and cooking those vegetables. It's a total PIA, pain in the asparagus. But you know what? There are a lot of ways to cheat now. There are a lot of really good ways to cheat where you don't have to go through all of that. Like you can buy these bags of pre-washed organic mixed baby kale at Costco. It's so great. I've been buying them. Now I know that that's industrial organics and it's not local and it's not seasonal and it's coming from California and there's all kinds of problems with farm workers and labor and water and irrigation and here we go. We're going to spin out of control again, just like last week, just like what I talked about on last week's episode, Ignorance is Bliss. But you know what? It's better than eating shit. It's better than eating the doodly puffs, isn't it? Or the veggie chips. And even though everyone else will tell you that you should only eat seasonal and local and real organic, and I agree with them philosophically, I would rather see all of us eating bags of Costco kale than eat frozen loaded potato skins and frozen spinach dip from TGI Fridays, which is what a certain sister-in-law of mine who just gave birth to a 10-pound baby does on a regular basis. And you know what else? I have a giant bag of frozen organic green beans in my freezer. Yep. I am not afraid to tell you that. Me, Miss 20-Year Chefy Heritage Radio, Locavore food snob, Ivory Tower elitist, keeps frozen vegetables in her freezer. Because sometimes when I'm working at my chef instructor job, we only make things like mayonnaise in my class. Or we cut onions. And then there's no leftovers for me to take home. So I go home and I cook up a big bowl of my frozen organic green beans and I add some olive oil and some salt and maybe I'll open a can of wild Alaskan salmon and I eat dinner and it's good and it's okay. There's real food cheating and then there's foodiness and let's get real. Sometimes in life you have to cheat. That's why God made glycolic peels and laser hair removal. From a completely out of the foodiness rabbit hole idealized perspective, It's always going to be better to buy fresh, local, organic, seasonal, heritage, heirloom, sustainable, biodynamic, holistic, non-gender specific, non-sectarian, bipartisan, and cage-free vegetables. It's also ideal to reduce your carbon footprint by never turning on your TV. But that just isn't very realistic either, especially considering that this season on Mad Men, We are seeing Peggy do things that we never thought that she would do. And how about Joan leaving her husband? And what about Megan becoming an actress? I mean, seriously, how could we not be watching that? So sometimes in life, we just have to be a little less ideological and a little more realistic. So what does this mean for vegetables? 
Well, let's take a very short break so I can try to get my voice back. And when we come back, we'll finish up by talking about getting real about vegetables. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm, I am Erica Wise, your host. I may not sound like me, but it is me. And lovely Jack Inslee just made me tea to help my throat. So remember that Heritage Radio Network shows are always available on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, as live streaming shows. But also, they are all on there, archived. You can listen to any of them whenever you want. They're also all on iTunes and all of Let's Get Real and my previous show, Why We Cook, are on iTunes. I'm up to 132 episodes now on iTunes. You can also find Let's Get Real on Facebook. Just look for Let's Get Real. And you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. You can also check out Let's Get Real Show.com, which is the Let's Get Real website, where you can now watch the pilot video for the hopefully upcoming Let's Get Real TV show. Just go to let'sgetrealshow.com slash watch and it's right there. And it's pretty funny. I would like to know what people think. Let me know. All right. Anyway, so we're talking about vegetables this week and how to get real and how to fit them into your life and be realistic about eating them and not eat veggie puffs and not eat veggie chips and not drink veggie juice, but get real vegetables into your life and how cheating sometimes is okay. So cheating means a frozen green bean grown in Uruguay in February and maybe with some pesticide on it is always going to trump that veggie puff that is one step removed from flavored styrofoam. That's being realistic about food, and in this case, vegetables. And that's what this show is all about, being realistic, not just being, let's go to the farmer's market and buy what's in season, even though that's really important too. Now, I've seen those bags of pre-washed kale that I was talking about, not just at places like Costco, but at like regular supermarkets too. If you, so, you know, you can't say like, oh, I'm just a single person. I can't go to Costco. I, blah, 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 blah. Just go to the supermarket. I've seen them at Whole Foods. I've seen them at regular supermarkets. Pre-washed, cut, things like kale, collard greens, mustard greens. I almost fainted. Even I would buy them like that. For foodiness sakes, buy those for yourself. That stuff is already washed, trim, prepped. All you have to do is stick it in a pan, just a hot saute pan with oil, or put it in the microwave. It's like making a frozen dinner, but it's actually food. Or get some basic root vegetables, whatever you can find. Carrots, parsnips, turnips, celery root, whatever it is. Peel them, cut them up into chunks, toss them with some olive oil and salt, put them on a sheet pan in your oven, 400 degrees, about 30 minutes or until they're soft and brown. Totable, totable, <laughs> total vegetable crack deliciousness. In fact, these are so 
crack-like in their delicious, addictive quality, that if Whitney Houston had been eating those instead of so much crack, she'd probably be alive and healthy today and thanking me for helping her with her foodiness rehabilitation and conversion program. Now, here's a little story. A few years ago, actually seven years ago, I went on a hiking trip in the Southwest and we flew into Phoenix and then we drove to the Grand Canyon and we hiked for a week and then we drove to Las Vegas to fly home out of there. Now, I do not love Las Vegas by any stretch. I find it somewhat horrifying, but I'm not ashamed to say that we went to Las Vegas to see Barry Manilow play. Yes, I can admit that. It's okay. Barry Manilow was kind of the foodiness of music, really, if you think about it. And one of our only two nights in Vegas, we saw him. And then we also went to a buffet. Now, I was really expecting the worst from this buffet. But actually, I was really surprised and really happy. Because it turns out, since so many Asian people like to come to Las Vegas, there was a whole section of this buffet catering to them. So there was all this dim sum, like all these great little dumplings and things. There was sushi. Now I know sushi in the desert and there was tuna and issues and issues and issues and issues. And just shut up and let me finish because I know, I know. I didn't eat the sushi, okay? And there were big platters of like sauteed broccoli, uh, not broccoli, Rob, you know, bok choy, Asian greens. But most exciting of all was a huge pile of Japanese seaweed salad. You know that bright green stuff that's kind of translucent and kind of crunchy and delicious? You know that half of that is actually made up of seaweed-flavored gelatin strings, and the other half is actual seaweed? But I still love it. That, to me, that is crack to me. Anyway, we love that stuff, Adam and I, and we love it almost as much as we would love our second husband, Broccoli Rob, if we could marry him, or, you know, our brother-husband, We dove into that platter of seaweed salad the way that Sophie probably dove into the first pile of potatoes she saw after her release from the camp. We love that seaweed salad, but it's really expensive. And you know, I'm very thrifty. It's like $4 for a tiny little container of it. So I never buy it. And I almost never even order it in restaurants. So when we sat down to our big piles of seaweed salad at our table at the Vegas buffet, I of course had to look over at the people sitting next to us because that's what I do. Now, buffets fascinate and also disgust me. And I'm always kind of curious and repulsed by how people behave at them and by what people choose. And I always, of course, have to nosily scope out what everyone else is eating. It's the anthropologist in me. Or maybe it's just the liberal elite ivory food tower snob in me. The point is that the woman next to us had chosen on her plate out of at least 100 different food choices at that buffet. She had chosen to take a slab of prime rib... Okay, a pile of mashed potatoes, a pile of canned corn, like cooked corn niblets, and then a half an ear of corn on the cob. Really, lady? All that choice, all that bounty, all of that stuff here in the land of unbelievable variety, and you take a slab of meat, mashed potatoes, and two types of frozen and canned corn? Maybe all the gambling she had done had turned her brain into a vegetative state, or maybe what she ate had turned her brain into a vegetative state. I mean, you are what you eat. 
after all, and she was a big pile of mashed potatoes and canned corn. Or at least that's kind of what it looked like she was carrying underneath her skirt. Now, did the gambling make her a potato-eating potato head, or did the potatoes make her a gambling canned corn eater? We'll never know, but we can learn from her. I wonder what her grandma used to cook for her. You're supposed to learn this stuff from your parents or your grandparents, and sometimes that works out, and sometimes mm, not so much. My mom was a really good cook, considering she you know, worked within a very limited budget. She shopped in the supermarkets of the 70s, but she fed us pretty well. Her mother, on the other hand, raised her in war-torn Europe. They almost starved to death. They had to eat grass soup. And my grandmother stole bread for my mom and her siblings to survive on. She was a functional cook. Cooking for her, food was her, was really just all about keeping her kids alive. She boiled her chickens. Now, my paternal grandmother, on the other side, born at the turn of the century into a middle-class, working-class family in Brooklyn, was a terrible cook if you can believe it. She bought most of her food pre-made from Empire Kosher, and she served us cold canned peas and canned jello. I mean, canned peaches with green jello. Yes, she served us cold canned peas right out of the can. They tasted and smelled literally like farts. I kid you not. So you can't always trust grandmothers when it comes to food. I mean, especially these days, because... They're the first ones to lend grandmother respectability in foodiness marketing. And I'm planning an episode on foodiness commercials in which I will closely examine the role of grandmas in foodiness propaganda. Now, Chris Nutter, who's my co-producer on this show, his grandma down in Alabama, where he grew up on their plantation, had her slaves cook for them squash and fresh peas and collards and sweet potatoes. I grew up to be a chef and embrace and love vegetables. He grew up to be a publicist and two-time but now recovering ex-self-help author who drinks raspberry vodka. The world makes no sense whatsoever. So how can you get real about vegetables? Well, let's start this way. If you're going to eat chips, don't eat a veggie chip. Eat a potato chip. That way, at least you know what you're getting. You know what you're eating. You know what we used to call junk food. Only you won't be fooling yourself. It's more honest. It also means that you have to stand in line at the cash register and let the liberal liberal elites around you judge you for buying Lay's potato chips instead of spinach puffs. If you're going to eat a vegetable, eat a vegetable. How about an avocado? It takes like two seconds to peel. You don't have to cook them, and they're delicious. They're like green butter. You could microwave some frozen peas or broccoli, include it with your takeout, or steam some broccoli or asparagus, put some olive oil on it. That's how Chris learned to eat his vegetables every day, along with his now unflavored vodka cocktails, buy some of those bags of pre-washed baby kale. It's as eating, easy as eating a veggie chip, but it won't turn you into a vegetable. Veggie puffs are turning us into vegetables. How else do you explain something like 50 shades of gray? And if you eat real vegetables and you don't eat veggie puffs, then you too can look down your nose at people who think they're liberal elites, which is really what it's all about, right? And who knows, you might find your gateway vegetable, and before you know it, you've been successfully converted from that sinful veggie puff lifestyle into a wholesome relationship with a real vegetable like God meant us to be. 
Anyway, there are still a couple of open spaces left for the next session at the Foodiness Reeducation Camp this spring. If you would like to apply or know someone who needs a foodiness intervention, you can contact me at letsgetrealshow.com. Remember, no insurance is accepted for Foodiness Reeducation Camp. I'm also waiting for those book reports that I assigned to you all from last week's show on how Wally illustrates what foodiness is doing to us. I mean, cheat for God's sakes. Look it up on Wikipedia. If you don't remember the movie, I'll even bump up the reward. I won't just read your book report on next week's show. I'll read it on Let's Get Real, the web series or TV show when we sell it. So turn in those book reports or it's going to go on your permanent record and you're all going to get great deductions anyway due to lateness. Now you know you're only hurting yourselves. And remember, if you don't want to eat shit, eat your vegetables. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.